Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. Well, we're live together in Santa Barbara. With a live audience. Yay! How fun is this? Uh, now that we got the technical difficulties out of the oh way. Oh my it's gosh, great. you guys have been so patient. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great being here. We've had a great uh, 24 hours. Yeah, so Stu came in last night and we went out to dinner with uh, Dr. Melissa Drake and Anastasia and had a wonderful time. And then today you slept in. He's like, I'll be up at the crack of dawn. And then I was like, did he go on a bike ride without me? No, I, yeah, I'm still on Oahu time. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got back from uh, doing a Reteach Breach seminar in Oahu. I'm wearing my Reteach Breach shirt from Redding, California. Thank you, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, uh, uh, it was a great time. I spent five days in Oahu, mm -hmm. two days on, on the Reteach Breach, and then which was great. I mean, we had a really good turnout. We had like 20, 20 people and the island people, some people hopped island. We even had uh, Dr. Uh, Roz Drake come all the way. She's a chiropractor, came all the way from Ireland, from Ireland. She, um, cool, she right? said, I want to take Dr. Stu's reteach breach course. And so she looked at my schedule and she said, Hmm, Kansas city. No, Wyoming. No, Oahu. Yeah, yes. <laughs> smart lady. <laughs> so, so she came all that. We did a we did a quick uh, little thing on the North Shore where she recorded something and posted it on her Instagram. Oh, did you guys see that? It was beautiful. Page. Yeah. Well, so Wahoo, was, Wahoo was just great, and beautiful. I want to thank uh, Jamie, but especially Daniela for just hosting me and really um, treating me like royalty on the island. It was great. So then I flew in and I flew into San Francisco because I had come down from Reading and my car was in San Francisco. And then I drove down. So you flew overnight. Yeah, I took a red eye. And then drove from San Francisco to Santa Barbara. Yep. Pulled off twice to take naps. And then, the highway. and then took me to go get my RV Hope and bring it back over here. And then we went out to dinner. So it's no wonder that you... Slept in. Slept until nothing. Yeah, that was today. a long. That was a long thing to why I slept in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, because I've been waking up with the sun, which I like. I think that's part of RVing. When you're RVing around, you didn't know we both have RVs now. Right, I copied her. Mine's hope. And mine's the beast. <laughs> it is the beast. It's huge. It's big. It's, it's like a big box. Mm -hmm. And driving it the first time I drove it, I drove across country, and there were some crosswinds going through. New Mexico and the Panhandle and Texas and oh my God, people that live there—they're the hardiest, toughest people in the world because this blowing winds blowing all the time and it's flat. There's nothing, there's nothing there, no trees even. Um, but it was hard to handle. I even—I think I told this story. I got pulled you over did. by an Arkansas trooper because I was sort of going. Oh. <laughs> and it turns out that his wife was pregnant. We ended up having a 15-minute conversation about his wife's pregnancy, uh, but. Um, Anyway, so when you have RV life, you, when the sun goes down, what do you do? So you guys have all have been camping, right? Most people. So when you go camping, the sun goes down, you may put the dishes away and then sort of crawl in your tent and go to bed. Mm -hmm. And then when the sun comes up, you're up. So that's what I've been doing. So today was a really weird day. 
So did you guys see my t-shirt? Stu bought this t-shirt for me. You want to tell them what it says on the back? They can see. It says the farm midwifery workshop. So I was at the farm cool? in Tennessee. And uh, yeah, so that was one thing. I also got you a what? A big mic. And? And a puzzle. Yes. I'm a puzzler. She's a puzzler. Where did I get you the puzzle from? I feel kind of dorky being a puzzler. Um, in London. No, in, yeah, in Stratford-upon-Avon, right? Yeah. It's a William Shakespeare yes. puzzle. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have things to talk about we today. We do. We should get so right let's talk. It. Let's talk about So I want to, again, we talked about Oahu. I think the biggest thing on this on the agenda, since we're in Santa Barbara, we might as well get it off the table. Before we're going to, what we're going to do then is just respond to questions. And we're just going to answer questions uh, that people have sent in or emails that people have sent us. So uh, we're going to do that. But I just want to talk because there's a big issue going on here in Santa Barbara in the newspaper today. Today and, it came uh, out. Yeah, why don't you talk, tell a little bit about it, Liz? Because you're because you're part of the community now. I am part of the community, and thank you for welcoming me. I am um, I'm really excited to be part of this community, and I do think that it's uh, we've talked about it. It's super interesting that things are shifting and changing right about the time that I arrived. So I really feel like. I don't know how you guys feel, but I believe in the universe and that things kind of conspire for you. And I believe that I was brought here um, for a very specific reason. And so um, this morning um, in the independent paper, um, there was an article that was written about um, Dr. Melissa Drake, which I mentioned on the podcast before, who we I mentioned we had dinner with, who's a wonderful Doctor Ob, um, I, I loved one day I was tell- talking to you about her, and you said she's a great doctor. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, coming from Stu, like that is a is a big uh, compliment. Yeah, well, they call her a unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> in the in the article, in the headline, I think, in the headline. Yeah. And you know, I've been called a unicorn, so I actually texted. Funny or on you? Yeah, Why? <laughs> 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 we need one. We need one. Someone send in a headband for you. Um, yeah. Well, I, t- I texted with her today because of our dinner last night. Yeah. Um, she graciously, she snuck in and picked up the tab for dinner. I was going to pay for dinner and she, she's classy, she's very classy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a long time. We had a three, three and a half hour dinner last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I texted her today and I just said, you know, you are a unicorn and, and I, I know it because I've been through it. Yeah. What she's going through now, I, that's what happened to me. Almost everybody that I know that's really good at what they do, that wants to do something different or, find, or ends up doing alternative things like David Hayes or like me or like Anne-Marie Adams was in Sacramento and some other people, they've all, we've all gone through the same process where we're the nail that stands out and we have to be pounded on and pounded back in again. And I, you know, I, I don't know that everything that's specifically going on with Dr. Drake, but I know the pattern. I've seen it yeah. many, many times. And I, I, you know, I've been around birth for a long time now too. And I um, feel like that we get these new doctors that come in and they're, they're very um, excited to do all of the things that we're excited. We hope that they will do and support physiologic birth and all of that. And then slowly, but surely Emiliano was one of them. Yeah, uh, they took away his breach privileges. Yeah, right. just slowly. But I mean, he's still fighting the good fight. But, you know, you you can only do that for so long. So and they gaslight you and they and they beat you up and you start to doubt yourself. You start to question things it, and, and it really starts to build up um, and it takes a really strong support system, which a lot of you guys have shown 
me originally, I mean, I used to do a lot of stuff up in Santa Barbara and you guys were great. And then, and with Dr. Drake too, it takes, it takes reassurance that you are not the insane one, that you are the, the, the one that's actually right, the ethical one, the one who's got actually the proper medicine and medical uh, decision-making on your side and the support for uh, autonomy of the, of the mother to make her own decisions and the right of informed consent and refusal. You're not the one that's the crazy one. You're not the one. It's, it's the system that's really bad. But it's hard to see that when you're alone. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah. So supporting her as much as we can, sending her messages and loving so on her and letting her know that we, uh, you know, we care about her. Uh, I think Anastasia did a post or Kim did a post recently about like, you know, burnout for birth workers is a real thing. And we need to just make sure that people under, you know, understand that they have to take a break, that they need balance, they need to have support, that this is a really important thing. So I think, um, you know, as much as we can send Melissa love and support, I think that will help encourage her as well. Right, and we don't know- For what's we, next. And, and, and again, probably no one in this room, except maybe one person, probably knows the true story of what's going on, but I've seen it enough times to know that Melissa uh, has such grace that she's not going to say the kind of things that I would say at this point in my career. But, but, and I won't say them here out of respect for Melissa, but at some point in a future podcast, we're going to get her on. And when she's past the point where she gives a fuck anymore. We can right? say that because it's our podcast. Yeah. Then they still, they still call us clean though. Then she's, going to tell, then she's going to tell her story. And it's not a story that's going to surprise anybody in this room, but it's a story that would surprise populate, the people of Santa Barbara, I think. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, some of the things that have been going on at that hospital, I mean, how many women at that hospital have had C-sections that were not necessary because of certain policies at that hospital? And I can say that without any fear that I'm, that I'm wrong, because even, you know, they follow the guidelines of ACOG. They follow the guidelines of the CDC. The CDC and ACOG believe the C-section rate is too high. The World Health Organization, the CDC believe the section rate should be about 15%, maybe 10. But let's say 15% and say it's 30%. Well, that means half of all C-sections being done are, not, are, are unnecessary. And then and in the, in, I don't know how many, how many babies you have in Santa Barbara County, but I know that in the in the country, we have about 4 million babies a year. That means there's about 1.3 million unnecessary C-sections being, or excuse me, 1.3 million C-sections being done every year in the United States. It's the most performed operation. And half of those are probably unnecessary. If there were 650,000 unnecessary knee surgeries or mastectomies or appendectomies being done, not only would the population be outraged, but you know who would really be outraged? The insurance companies would be outraged because they're paying for this sort of thing. And yet not a peep about 650,000 unnecessary C-sections. But the bigger problem is even that, is, is you ask the question is, who's doing the unnecessary C-sections? Because no doctor goes home at night and says, hey, honey, guess what? I did two unnecessary C-sections today. Every C-section that a doctor does, he thinks is, or she thinks is necessary, yet half are unnecessary. More, probably more than half, well, it's I just, would say. I'm just using, making it easy math. Okay. Right. So, thanks. <laughs> so you get the point. The point is, that, that there's a cognitive dissonance going on here that has been permeating. And, and Santa Barbara, because it's so close, it's one community with one hospital, you can see it really clearly. When you have LA County with 
I don't know, 50 hospitals. It's a whole different ballgame. But up here, there's one hospital, they took over everything. And you can see it. And, and uh, Dr. Drake could see it. And Dr. Drake tried to do something about it. And it's kind of like running your, bumping your head into a wall. I think this is a good one to answer right now. Okay. I'm gonna ask you, will women's care <laughs> in Santa Barbara change? Now that Drake is gone, will there ever be progress? What's next? I mean, that's a big question for us to answer for this community because I'm brand new to this community. And, you know, Stu has been observing and participating in this community in the birth world up here for a while. So I would say, yes, it's gonna change. I mean, it's got to because she was providing a lot of care for a lot of women. She was taking a lot of clients. Um, so obviously there's going to be a ripple effect from her leaving the hospital. Um, what could happen from that is I think it's up to us. We really do. And I think that we need to start to um, talk about it and be more open about it and be willing to challenge the system a little bit more because we are a small community. Like in LA, you know, I've been, I've been fourth generation from Los Angeles. So coming here, I can, it's palpable. You know, you run into people. We were having dinner and someone came up and said hi and recognized us, you know? So there, there's the opportunity for the conversations to live on and to ripple out. And for women who have not necessarily had these experiences yet to avoid them. And we, I really do believe that we can change what's happening. Um, do I think it's gonna happen right away? No, but I think that this is a great opportunity. I think with the article that came out today um, and they're willing, they're gonna be doing um, more like a series of articles. I have to say, I didn't talk very much about the article, but I will say we have some other midwives in the room from um, the birth center here. And uh, I was really disappointed that they didn't talk about midwives as an option more. They talked about, right? Um, they talked about how the other doctors are all scrambling. They called every they're, they're doctor's so no, They're office. so noble that they're, they're scrambling to pick up the, uh, the, the problems that occurred because Melissa's leaving all these, these women that didn't have doctors because, but they didn't talk about, you know, like why did Dr. Drake have so many clients? You know, she was doing 45 births a month. That's insane, by the way. I mean, so I'm sure there was some physical burnout on her part too, after seven years of doing 45 births a month. I would tell you that nothing's gonna change here. I don't, I mean to be more pessimistic until certain people are no longer in charge of the hospital, all right? A certain person is no longer in charge of the hospital. And everybody here knows who I'm talking about. You know, I, I we had this we had this conversation with this certain person what, 10 years ago? How, when, was, uh, when did Jessica Barton write her letter? Oh, yeah. Probably. At least 10 years ago. And he gaslit her then, and she called him out on it, and did, nothing changed. Nothing changed. Finally, the birth center, much to their credit, probably had to like spread a lot of love around or whatever you guys did. You just said, finally said, we're going to do VBACs. Right. But it took a lot of, I think, a lot of buttering up of a certain person at the hospital to get that. Oh, so the buttering up, even the so, buttering up didn't work. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. I hope people can hear. I don't know that they'll be yeah, able to Yeah, that's okay. Up, so we'll, we'll repeat. So, um, so 
you attempted to um, butter up Play people, nice. people in the hospital. They ignored you. And then you made the decision as midwives at the birth center here in Santa Barbara that you were just going to change your policies to be able to support what was needed in the community. So do I think that we're going to necessarily be able to change what's happening in the hospital? No. That's why I'm a home birth midwife because I'm tired of trying to fight what's happening inside of that system. And so I think it was like what you were just talking about earlier, like you get beaten down and then you make a decision that you're gonna do something different. And this is where I get frustrated because I feel like we're still trying to play nice to have them behave in, no, behave, I'm talking about as a woman giving birth. behave in ways that can, will you please let me do what I want? Instead of saying, this is unacceptable. We're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to go outside of the hospital. If we're low risk, obviously there are times when we do need the hospital. We do need collaboration, which I think is something that we are trying to figure out how to work on here. And if we can't get collaboration here, then we're going to have to go to Ventura to work with the doctors there and utilize the services here only when it's an emergency. But I, I think that continuing to, um, to just take it, so to speak, um, is not changing anything. I've been in the birth world for 30 years now, and I've seen it move like, you know, <laughs> tiny, tiny bit. And so you know, I think when you start to get older, like Stu was saying, you know, we don't have a master. It's like, you get older and you're like, I only have this much time left to make an impact on the planet. And so I'm just gonna do it with my whole heart and soul. And I think that that's what you're doing too. And, and we're gonna make the impact that we can make. And I don't know that trying to fight the system inside of the system isn't, I mean, you can see what happened with Drake. No, it's not gonna work. It, it's not gonna work. Yeah, so I was and even, even doctors who are independent-minded like, like I was, it's it's so hard to break free because of the the doctor no longer has really much say in anything. It's almost as if they've 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 overachieved. They first they they changed the word doctor to provider to like minimize us, and then they the decisions that are made are made by people who aren't doing the work anymore. That's been going on for a long time. You know, they say that those who do do, those who can't do teach, and those who can't teach administrate. Well, that's actually true. Because why would anybody who loves what they're doing want to be an administrator? Nobody would want to be an administrator. So they, the people that want to be administrators want to, they want to find reasons to administrate. So they have to, they have to keep coming up with algorithms and policies and things and controlling what you do and how you do it. And then the doctors, even if, if they're working, if they independent minded, but they're in a call group, like we just lost Jay Goldberg in Los Angeles. Jay Goldberg was a really good guy. Um, he was supportive of what midwives were doing. Not a huge fan of home birth because he was medically trained, but supportive of taking transports. But then his partners he said, you can't do that anymore. And so he was cut off. He was handcuffed by his own colleagues that he shared office with and shared call with. So he could either back the midwives or have, or have a life. And he chose having a life. And that's the kind of thing. These doctors are under the same pressures some of them are just ingrained in the system, but some of them are just wait, what they get paid, who's paying them, the conflicts of interest, the fiduciary duty, the, the design of the system is all, all broken and it's not gonna be fixed because those that have their hands on the power are never gonna give it up. So you're right. 
need to people need to look the women in this community need to say I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. And if you don't want to take care of me the way I want to go, I'll go someplace else, or I'm going to show up at the hospital and you're going to do what I ask you to do. And they're going to be well-educated because it's the well-educated person that, that says that stuff. People that don't know a lot will just go along with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And people that are well-educated, they can't handle that. And they'll, and they'll look elsewhere. And that's why, you know, it needs to grow. The home birthing world needs to grow because ultimately 80 to 90% of women don't have anything really wrong with them at all. And they can labor at home. And on a rare occasion, they might need to go to the hospital, but it's almost never an emergency. Right. right. And, and they need to be welcomed at the hospital. So I don't know that that's going to happen up here. Not while certain people remain in charge. Keep believing. That's what I say. Because if you never try to do these things, then change can't happen. If you just kind of sit back and think, oh, well. I guess this is just how it's going to be. Then nothing's ever going to change. So I, I'm a very optimistic person. So just keep believing. That's, that's why we get along so well. Okay. So <laughs> this one says for a transfer, how would someone fire an on-call provider that is known for malpractice, i.e. manual tearing? It's a real thing. It's pretty terrible. This is, again, uh, the, this is, it, it depends on, on the system that you're working with. If you're working in a hospital that has residents, you can say, you know, I'm not comfortable with this resident or I'm not comfortable with this labor nurse and they'll give you a new labor nurse or give you a new resident. When you're at a hospital, I suppose like cottage where there's one guy that's on for 12 hours or 24 hours or how, how it works, the on-call doctor. I'm not sure, but there's gotta be a backup on-call doctor and you can refuse to be cared for by anybody. People have the right to do that. It puts you in an awkward position. Yeah, it's, it's, it's puts, very uncomfortable. Yeah, it puts yeah. everybody in an awkward position. But that's why maybe the alternatives going to a place where you know that there's somebody who does this sort of thing routinely, that, that if that person's on call that night, maybe you local people, you drive down to Ventura. That's what I was wondering. If, if you could call, call ahead. What, say it again? They've waited to they waited to transfer somebody. Uh, they've delayed transport simply to wait till that person went off call. Luckily, it wasn't an emergency, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, rarely is it ever emergency, but also you make if the woman's really tired and she wants an epidural, now you're making her wait six more hours to get her epidural. Yeah, yeah but, it but you it can call been. you can call ahead, right, and find out who is the doctor, and then maybe make a decision to go to Ventura. I mean, these are not great options. Obviously, you have to work with what we have. It, the best outcomes statistically are when we, as midwives, have the ability to be able to transfer into the hospital and have a collaborative relationship that is smooth. That's where we have the best outcomes. You would think that as medical providers and hospitals and administrators and insurance companies, that that would be in everybody's highest priority, but it's not. So we have to work with what we have and work together to try and find ways to serve the women in this community the best we can. And I really, I'm going to keep saying, I really do think that I know it's scary to rock the boat. You know, I know it feels like it's, it's going to cause things to get worse and it might for a little bit, but it also can be the thing that can shake things up to get things to be better. And if we aren't willing to take those risks, then we can never have any change. 
let's let's take a moment and talk about one of our sponsors. Let's talk about Element. L M N T. L M N T. L M N T. Yeah, it's a uh, electrolyte mix. Comes in packets. You mix it in water. Eco-friendly. Uh, very tasty. Comes in multiple flavors. And I actually had all the flavors lined up on my phone, and then I dropped it. So I know that you like your mango chili, uh, but there's whole other. There's watermelon, and there's uh, chocolate. Something chocolate with it in it, and mm -hmm. a bunch of great flavors. And it's got all the good stuff in it that that we really need to stay healthy with uh, none of the, as Liz likes to say, none of the BS, none of the BS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know, it's good for birth workers. It's good for women in labor. It's good for men working on, on their yard or in their garden and, and gr growing their own food farm to table, or when they're, when they're mowing the South 40 at the 350 acre, 300 acre place. I mean, element will be our staple drink at the uh, Kentucky Center, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right. So um, if you go to drinkelement.com, that's drinklmnt.com, and put in uh, backslash birthing instincts, you can get a free sample pack uh, for only the cost of shipping, which I think is five bucks. So we hope that you'll support them. Um, they've been with us for a while now, and we really appreciate our long-term sponsors. So thank you, Element. And I've noticed that, again, even Bliss and I are sort of tiptoeing around certain things because... Am I? Yeah, we're not naming names. We're oh, yeah, not, yeah. We're not, we're not, we're, we're, I mean, why, why don't we call people out by their name? Why doesn't the person who is known for malpractice, Terry, why don't we know that person's name? And why doesn't, why isn't it out there? Maybe you guys know it, but why isn't it out publicly? Why did I tiptoe around the person I was talking about? And another thing, it, this ties into the article in the paper today, was that I read the comments. And you, if you read the comments, you know, some people were supportive and some people were vicious. But you notice that almost every vicious comment, other than Duncan Turner, who was a previous MD here, right? Other than him, who, who supported Dr. Drake, every comment that was vicious, was, was sent in anonymously, okay? You don't know who's doing it. This happened to me years ago in the papers in, in Camarillo and in, in Ventura County, the same thing. I was slandered or libeled by anonymous people and it's perfectly legal. And I even asked the Ventura County store, Star to remove some comments because they were slanderous or libel. And they said, we don't remove comments. Now maybe things will change. Maybe, I don't think things are different now. And I'm saying to anybody that wants to be critical or supportive, why don't you say your name? Why are you such a coward? If you want to criticize Dr. Drake or if you want to criticize somebody else or, or any politician or anything, stop with this anonymous crap. You know, we, we have the right, I think it's in the Constitution, about the right to face your accuser. All right, when you're, in a, when you're, when you're charged with a criminal offense, you have the right to face your but when you just want to slander people and look what, I mean, the whole thing that's going on with the internet, with people, um, what do they call it? Not doxing. It's called, um, cancel culture, canceling or yeah, they just, they, they, they come out and they're vicious trolling. Yeah. Trolling is a good word. 
Um, My teenagers had to tell me what trolling was. They call me a troll and I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. So whenever I see a comment that's by anonymous, it's, it, it, it carries no weight. And I just want to tell people if they've ever, if they're ever comment, if they ever quoted and they're commenting on somebody comes after them and attacks them and they attack them anonymously, don't give them any, don't let them bring you down because they're cowards and you are, and you have right and ethics and truth on your side. Okay. How about this one? Can you expand on the word ban? Is it really enforceable? Can a patient not refuse? Can a patient oh, sure. not comply? Yes. Not refuse to comply. Yeah, there's no such thing as a ban. Hospitals can ban something, or they can have what's called a de facto ban, where they don't. We say we don't ban VBAC, just that no doctor at the hospital will do a VBAC. So essentially, that's that's called a de facto ban. Sometimes they actually have a policy, like when Pleasant Valley Hospital banned breach delivery. They said if you do another breach delivery, you will we will suspend you. That's what they said to me, even though I was credentialed to do breach deliveries. I had a sheet, sheet signed by the chairman of the department that was good for two years. And they said, right in the middle of the two years, they said, you can't do any more breaches. So they can do that, but that doesn't mean that a woman can't come in and say she's breached and say, or be back and say, I'm not gonna have a C-section unless it's indicated. And if, it's, and if the only reason it's indicated is because the doctor doesn't know how to do breach deliveries, or there's a policy that says we're not gonna do VBACs because we, like, like they say at Cottage Hospital, we can't do VBACs because we're not equipped. We're not equipped to take transports. We're not equipped to take, well, then if you're not equipped to take VBACs and transports, you're not equipped to take any, anybody in labor because biggest, the, the most common reason why a person has an emergency C-section has nothing to do with being a transport or being a, a VBAC client. It has to do with placental abruption or fetal bradycardia or, or iatrogenic uh, um, uh, cascade of interventions. Those are the reasons that they end up doing emergencies. So they can do all that. So that's all a lie. So a true VBAC banner is, is completely unethical. It violates every tenet of, of medical ethics. It violates what ACOG says. Again, I'm not a big fan of ACOG, um, but yeah. So no, you really, you have the right to make decisions of informed consent and refusal. And you have the right to uninformed refusal too. Even if they get, you know, if you don't say, I don't want to know anything, I'm just not doing it. You have the right, they have the right, and they're supposed to support you. If they want to have you sign something or whatever, fine. But that document isn't going to carry any weight because you can't, you can't consent somebody who's in labor. That's not legal. They make you sign. I mean, look at, they're saying to you, by the way, this is an interesting thing that people ought to know. When you go to the hospital, the first thing they do when they get there is they want to get you a wristband. They want to get you admitted, right? So they ask you all these questions. If say you're transferring somebody in from home who's just really in pain and wants an epidural, you can tell them I'm not answering a single question until I have my epidural. And they have to take care of you. I, did, they, I did hear that they, they, they declined giving pain medication to women who went in for, for feedback. Yeah. Yeah. But which you understand is how much, criminal that is? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So they're doing it. So what do you recommend that they do? You know, it's not my favorite thing to recommend, but at some point they have to be called out legally. Right. And you know what? They can't hide behind the hospital's lawyers. They have to be, these people have to be sued personally. And even if they find a way to get a lawyer to get them out of the case personally, they'll have had to spend money on a lawyer to get them out of the case personally. Because they're never hurt. You know, it's like, it's like if there's a bad 
uh, a bad arrest or a bad police shooting and say somebody sues the police department and, and wins a million dollars, who pays for that? <laughs> the taxpayer pays for that. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the city official who, who embezzled the police, they, they don't pay for it. You pay for it. So, yeah. There's only so much that birth workers can do because at a certain point, they just ignore us and, and diminish our validity for what we do. Um, so it has to come from the women, the families, it has to. So um, we're gonna take this one last question about the local stuff. And then I wanna move on to a couple of like something kind of different. Um, how can a level one trauma center not be equipped for VBAC? In two words? Sure. It can't. All right. They are equipped for VBAC. Mm -hmm. They just use just it like as some an people, excuse. By the way, again, people lump VBAC into being some sort of procedure. Okay. Like breach, they, they always talk breach twins and VBAC. Those are high risk things. What is a VBAC? It, it's, a vaginal, it's a normal vaginal birth. And it's not high risk till it becomes high risk. It's only high risk because they label it high risk. And by labeling it high risk, they make the woman more nervous and the people around her more nervous. And then that cascades into being, making maybe labor more dysfunctional. They're creating the problem. A VBAC is just a normal labor. And what happens to most women who have normal labor? They have a baby. They have a baby. <laughs> Sometimes right. I'm not sure if I have the right yeah. answer. I feel like it's a trick question. I'm like. It was a trick question. Okay. Right. I passed. Right. So. They're, if they if they want to build themselves a level one trauma center, which is a category that gets them more money from the feds, I believe that's how that worked, or the state, um, they can't they can't say that, but they just do because because nobody has the power to fight them when they're a one hospital town. Imagine how nice it would be if Goleta Hospital hadn't been bought and was still open and was competing with them, right? But they're not. They bought it and closed down the labor unit, right? Sort of what St. John's did to, to Pleasant Valley Hospital in San Maria, Dignity Health. By the way, you know the story of Dignity Health? Why it's called Dignity Health? I don't. First of all, remember every time they, you've, you've, if you've listened to podcasts, you know every time you hear a name that sounds really smooth and sweet, you know that it's, there's something nefarious behind it. Like the, like the British system of health has something called NICE, N-I-C-E. And we just had something and we talked about it the other time. I forgot care or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some abbreviate, some acronym. But the, um, the uh, Dignity Health came by because of Obamacare. Because Catholic Healthcare West, because of their religious roots, could not, abide, could not um, follow along with Obamacare's mandate for birth control, which was in the Obamacare law. So rather than stand up for what the Catholic Church believes and fight to get that removed or get that altered or get that not mandatory, what did, what did Catholic Healthcare West do? They created a non-denominational division called Dignity Healthcare. And all their hospitals were then just moved from this pile into that pile. So now they could support birth control because it's Dignity Healthcare, it's not Catholic Healthcare West. So that's where it came from. Uh, it's, it's just sneaky. Sneaky. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about home birth, out of hospital birth, community-based birth. Isn't that what we do? 
It takes me so long to get the community-based birth into my head. Why would we, why would, why did we change it? Because if you say out of hospital birth, then it means that hospital birth is the norm, which it really isn't. I mean, it is now, but you know, we've been having babies outside of the hospital. Yeah. And home birth also includes, I mean, community-based birth also includes birth centers. centers. That's right. Whereas home birth sounds I mean, it exclu- excludes birth centers. That's right. And we don't want to. So they used to say home and birth center birthing, but it's, it's a community-based birthing sounds better because you're right, because it doesn't make, right. doesn't give the hospital the credibility that it, they want. Okay. So how do you talk to your partner about home birth if they are skeptical? You want you to answer No, that? I want you to answer this. <laughs> I know you've been talking a lot, but this one specifically. Well, I think that you... It's it's a tar- it's a tough thing to do because you want to respect their reasoning. So you have to have good conversations, and then you want to refer them to pl- to certain books, podcasts, <laughs> um, to listen to, uh, to see if that resonates with them whatsoever. Have them talk to other families who might have had home birth home births, support groups, and you know Facebook has a bunch of different groups, and you can get on them. And talk to them. And then ultimately, you have to explain to them why it's so important to you. Why do you want a home birth? What are your fears? Because ultimately, I guess we're talking about the, 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 the non-pregnant partner is the one you need to convince. But ultimately, it's the pregnant partner that's got to make the decision because it's her body and it's her place. It's her decision. Okay. Right? What, what have you said to skeptical dads before? Because I, like, I feel like a lot of times I can say a lot of things, but there's something about having an OB and a man that, you know. Well, I just think when, when I meet families and stuff like that, I, I think I just have a, a, a sort of a, a gestalt or bedside manner that, that men bond to. So. Most. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've, had, we've had a few that have it. <laughs> Guy still owes me money. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, no, we, we have, we have, um, I just, I, I think that, that there's a sense of confidence and a trust from me, you know, and that may be a guy to guy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why don't you talk about some of the statistics? Oh. Don't you think that's helpful? Don't you think numbers are helpful sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember what I, what statistics are though. I mean, I, I, I can just, because I'm a, I'm a clearinghouse for this information. I, mm-hmm. I tend to have it. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, there, there's really good literature in the world that supports properly selected women having a home birth are, have better outcomes, less perineal trauma, uh, less surgical birth, better bonding, better breastfeeding, uh, psychologically feeling better about their birth. The data is overwhelming that that's the case. And that birth, when you don't uh, meddle with it, labor, when you don't meddle with it, Rarely does something happen bad suddenly. The medical model thinks it does because things happen suddenly in the hospital because they've been meddling for hours. So the success rate for a woman, especially a woman who's already had at least one vaginal birth for a home birth is literally 99 plus percent. Um, And that's true for breaches and and twins also. My success rate for breaches at home is 100% for multips. Now, again, my numbers don't multip as a woman who's had more than one, at least had one vaginal delivery already. Right. But, but my numbers don't reach statistical significance. So again, I don't want to be guilty of, of 
what they do. I don't want to be accused of being skewing my numbers to say that. The success rate for, for first-time moms at home, 80 to 90%, depending on whose practice you're talking about. Mine, mine for breaches is 80%, but for overall, it was about 93%. But I think that you guys probably have better numbers than me. For one reason, you don't take as, sort of, as many problems as I end up taking. So it's a, a very high rate of success, very low rate of a bad outcome. And, and um, there's never safety can never be guaranteed. I mean, the NICU is often filled with babies who came to the hospital and perfectly healthy inside their mother and ended up in the NICU. So the people that say, well, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? You essentially say that we are experts in normal birthing. We can see when things aren't going well. When things aren't going well, they usually don't happen suddenly. You can see it coming. And you, and you then transport to the hospital when it's necessary, which isn't necessary very often. But I don't know how you can convince somebody that it's safe because safety means different things to different people, to different people right? right. Um, you know, some people think one in a hundred is, is a high risk. Other people think it's low risk. One in a thousand. Some people want to take one in a thousand chance for their baby and they think by going to the hospital, they're not putting their baby at any risk. But they are. And not only are they putting their baby at risk, but they're putting their, their partner at risk. And they're putting their partner's future babies at risk. Because if you have a 30% C-section rate in the hospital or higher, um, anything that you might have saved by doing a C-section on that, that by, even if it was indicated, you've now pushed that risk downstream. And every subsequent baby that woman has, now you have the scarred uterus issue, right. the, the placental implantation issue, the placenta creta for creta, that sort of thing issue. Um, you have all kinds of issues that you didn't have. And then of course, when your babies are born by C-section, these numbers are small also, but they are statistically significant. Higher rates in those babies, especially pre-labor cesareans, scheduled ones of childhood asthma, uh, autoimmune disorders, uh, adult onset diabetes. We see all, you know, microbiome issues. So uh, yeah, these are processes you, you should never go into it saying, I wanna, I'm gonna convince you because you can't necessarily convince them, but you can give them information and you can say, listen, I'm not a cowboy. I wouldn't put my career at risk. I wouldn't put your wife at risk. I wouldn't put your babies at risk if I thought that this was stupid. So you can either believe that or not believe that. Tell us about Bamboobies, Bliss. They're one of our sponsors. They've been a sponsor for us for a long time. Bamboobies has really stepped up and been a major contributor to this podcast, and we're so thankful. They are a great company that um, is committed to the comfort for mom and baby. They've got great eco-conscious line um, that I love coming from bamboo breast pads to uh, nursing tanks, wonderful teas and salves, um, all uh, focused on, on the comfort of mom and baby and making sure that the environment is taken care of as well. So go check them out. And Stu's got a wonderful code for you so that yeah. you can use that to yeah. support so go us to their website, Bamboobies. Yeah, go to their website, bamboobies.com and go to their boutique, uh, their online store and buy some stuff. And then when you check out, <laughs> <laughs> when you check out, um, put fill in, up your cart, put in the code word <laughs> instincts and you get 25% off. So that's bamboobies.com code word instincts for 25% off. Of your purchase. Thanks, Bamboobies. Thanks, Bamboobies. What would you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is such a hard one, right? It's like, um, I feel like we don't need more evidence. 
I feel like we've, we have all these studies, we have all this evidence, the statistics here in the States is terrible in terms of moms and babies, in terms of morbidity and mortality. And, you know, what, what, when did uh, the business of being born come out? 2010, something like that, 11, all the statistics are in there. And nothing's changed. And not much has changed. We've gone, we've went from 1% to 1.4. And then during COVID, we went to 1.8. So it's, I don't believe that the information is what's going to sway somebody. I think sometimes they need to hear that. They need to have their questions answered. You know, we need to talk about things like, what about if there's a cord? What, you know, like these things that have just been passed down that are not necessarily emergencies so that people can get the information. But I don't think, like you were saying, I don't think you can convince somebody. You have to come from your heart and your soul and you have to dig deeper. And I, 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 those are the conversations I want to start having. I want to start having conversations about like, what is lost when we take this beautiful, sacred event where a soul is coming onto the earth and, and their very first moments of figuring out what this life is going to be like. And we take that and we take women being in their power and feeling all of the things that are possible for us to feel as women and understanding how strong we are and how capable we are. And this initiation of being, a, what is it going to take to be a mother? I mean, those of us who are already mothers know that like the birth is just the beginning, like raising these children is a whole other thing. So what is lost? when we minimize it to safety and uh, making sure that we're being careful. Not to say that this is risky because it's not. That's where the statistics, like we can give all people all that information, but I don't, I think again, I think we're gonna have to take some leaps and have some hard conversations and stand up for our power and how amazing we are. I mean, women are magical. We make human beings, we're like transformers. Our bodies completely shapeshift in order to bring these babies out. We have a out-of-body experience with the hormones that support us during this process. Then we make their food, which is also their medicine. I mean, come on, that is, that's the best thing on the planet. And so then what we've done is we've allowed them to take that from us and say, it's dangerous. You can't do it. It's too scary. It's too hard. You, you're not strong enough. Let us take care of it for you. Yeah, let's dry up your breast milk and give you a formula. Yeah. So, so what's lost? Those are the conversations I'd love to start having because I don't, I don't know that the other ones are, are really making an impact, you know? So come from your soul. That's what I would say. Come, like you said it in the beginning, come from your heart about why this is so important to you. And, you know, I know that in different uh, cultures and different families, there's different dynamics. But I also think when it comes to this part, her body and leading the family in this way, I think that you have to be the guide. And how many times have we seen men like look at their woman in a completely different way after watching her give birth. Like he gets to be transformed. He doesn't know. And he wants to protect both of them. It's scary. Yeah. That, um, that's, that's, I was going to make that point. And you just, you just made it for me is that 
if we're talking about partners, most of the time we're talking about male partners, let's be honest, okay? So men traditionally are, are, are concerned about cost and safety. And mess. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are the questions yeah. I get, but, you know, but, what about but, the mess? But the male is the protector. Yeah. That's the traditional role. Yeah, yeah. And most men fall into that traditional role. And so they want to protect and they think, and, and they, we've been brainwashed for about a hundred years that protect means have your baby in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you really want to protect your, your partner, um, you probably should jump on board with not putting your woman in the hospital unless she needs to be in the hospital. Unless she needs it. Right. right. You know, I mean, I always like to go back to nature and think about like that we're mammals, right? It's the only thing that we go to the hospital for that's wellness. So no, it's a, it, it, the, yeah, the whole thing uh, about how they disempower you when you go to the hospital, because everything else you go to the hospital for, and, and there are very few things nowadays people want to go to the hospital for, but it's illness. You know, you have your appendix out, you have a gunshot wound, you break your leg, you uh, have a brain tumor, you have a heart attack. These are the reasons you go to the hospital. And you're going to the hospital for something that's perfectly normal bodily function, like breathing or digestion. And it, it functions really well if you don't mess with it. And we go there and they're suddenly disempowered. It's like pee in a cup, change to a hospital gown. Here, sign these forms, answer these questions, uh, get an IV, get a wristband. You know, wristbands change into, why can't I wear my own jammies? Why do I, why do I need to have all this stuff done to me? Why am I peeing in a cup? Why, 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 am I, why are you asking me about how many stairs I have in my house? Or what did my grandmother die from? Well, I'm contracting every four minutes. I mean, why are you asking me these things? Because the mindset is that you're sick. There's a problem. You have a problem. If men, the partners could realize that, that this is normal, is the, normal, the normalcy of the whole process and how women who, even women in a coma will grow a baby and will go into labor. They can't push because that's a conscious effort. Yeah, but the body will do it. The body will expulse the baby, yeah, mm -hmm. right. I had two when I was a resident, two mm -hmm. women in coma. They went into labor I and mean, we put vacuums on to shorten the second stage because mm -hmm. we didn't, you know. Because that's what you did. Because that's what we did. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have had to do that, but that's what we did. But they went into labor because it, it's, it's something you don't think about. And then, and, and just to tell the, the husband, when you start worrying and thinking about stuff, that's when things go off the rail. Anyways, I think we could talk like three hours about this topic. So uh, I'm gonna move, move on. us on a little bit. Okay, um, what else you got? Let's do that one. All right, I'll read it. Okay. I had a HELP syndrome, H-E-L-L-P, that's hemolysis, elevated liver function test and low platelet count with my son and first baby, I guess. I want to know how likely it will happen again. I'm 38 years old. Second question would be, <laughs> could I have a home birth? I would need a VBAC. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I, I'm not gonna say names today, but, um, HELP syndrome is not something that necessarily recurs. There is a slightly higher risk. The earlier it occurs in your pregnancy, the more likely it is to recur. So if you get HELP syndrome at 26 weeks, then in subsequent pregnancies, it's likely to happen again. If you get it at 38 or 39 or 40 weeks, it's not as likely to happen again. A lot of times these things happen because maybe it was a nutritional issue. Maybe people didn't take, you weren't cared for in the way the midwives care for you. Because I think midwives see Severe preeclampsia or HELP syndrome, extremely rare, right? Okay, so uh, no, that would not exclude you from having a home birth. 
unless you develop preeclampsia again. And if you develop preeclampsia again, but the best chance to not develop preeclampsia again is to have midwifery care because they will help you diminish stress. They will help you know, go over your nutritional needs very early on in pregnancy, their supplement needs. So they'll talk about how to prevent certain things. And then there are certain things that you can mix in for screening and stuff that require you know, a doctor or an ultrasound tech or something to look for these sorts of signs. But um, if they don't develop, there's no reason that you would have to worry about that in the subsequent pregnancy. And then having a VBAC at home, yeah, of course you can have a VBAC at home. I think we already mentioned that earlier. So there's no reason that you can't do it. And your age has nothing to do with anything. So Don't do it. Right. Absolutely. Any, by the way, at any time when we're talking, I know that we have, we're powerful talkers and stuff. If somebody has a question and wants to disagree, I love disagreement. As you know, it's my nature <laughs> um, to disagree. So again, I, I know that we're sitting here spewing out stuff. And, and again, I can say things that other people can't say because of my, like I said, my independence, my, the fact that I have, it's a new thing that we have no masters. Yeah, you started it. I know. I like it. Right. Yeah. Right. This is a light one. Yeah. Um, what are our thoughts on vaginal steaming? I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any. So okay. why don't you talk about that? Um, why don't, don't you explain what it is, first of all? Um, I mean, there's probably a few people in the room that don't really know what, what vaginal it is. steaming is. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. Um, it is when you um, sit over um, herbs that are steaming underneath your bottom. So sometimes there's a special seat, but you also can just do it on a toilet. So you can put a bowl in the toilet and just sit on your toilet. You have to have a special seat. And, um, and it promotes uh, stimulation of the cells and health of, of your yoni and all of that. So it's used for a lot of different things. Sometimes people use it for, um, uh, I, was gonna say, I don't know how to say the word, um, like for like getting turned on sex. What, the, stimulation. What'd you say? Arousal, thank you. Yeah. What is that word I'm thinking of? It's been so long, well, never it, mind. It, probably, it probably increases blood flow because it's yes. warm and that yes. increases yes. engorgement, which increases arousal. Yes. Um, um, some people believe, and like after your cycle and for PCOS and this, so there's a lot of different ways and some people specialize in it. It's not my specialty. Um, the way that I feel about it is that there are certain indications when it can be really helpful. And then I'm not somebody who believes in it like all the time standard. And that's kind of how I am in general. Like, I feel like you need to individualize your care. And um, so it's not something that I would recommend all the time, but for certain things, I think it's very helpful. Okay. And what's, what kind of herbs do you put in there? There's all kinds of different things. It depends on, you know, just like Chinese medicine, there's all, you use different herbs for different things that you're trying to treat. So there, are there, are there books on that or there obviously are websites on that? Yes. Okay. And there's, there's uh, people who usually in every community, well, maybe not in the middle of the country, but here in Santa Barbara, um, there are people who specialize in it and you can look them up. Yeah, I think they had the lecture on vaginal steaming in medical school the same day they had the lecture <laughs> on breastfeeding and nutrition. Right. I missed that day. Is vaginal steaming like woo-woo to you? Does it seem woo-woo? Yeah. A little woo-woo? Yeah. Yeah. Cauldron stuff, as you used to call it? Ca I still call it that. Oh, you had said that in a long time. Cauldron stuff, right. Did you have one? Um, yeah, I have an interesting, it's completely off the topic, but um, I got a 
um, Instagram message from uh, Michelle. She says, do you have any connections in Montana? Kalispell area. My husband got offered a really great job there. Our twins are due in September. We have had, we have to have a decision in the next couple of weeks. I'm really sad about possibly losing my home birth, but don't want to miss this opportunity. So I, I wrote back to her and said, not really. I don't know anybody in Kalispell. I have some midwife friends in Bozeman, but I'm not sure if the laws in, of the laws in Montana. When are you due and would you be able to travel outside of Kalispell? And she says, I could and would travel for the birth I want. The laws are no licensed midwives are allowed to attend twin births outside the hospital in Montana. The laws in Washington are better. Spokane is four hours away. So she asked this question. So what I am unclear on is if a midwife is licensed in one state, can she get in trouble for attending a birth in a different state? Depending on her licensure and what the state. There's some nodding going on out in the crowd here. So yeah. you are held to the standard of your highest license. So if she, if say a licensed midwife in Montana went to Washington and practices as an unlicensed midwife, could she do twins in Washington or would she be violating her, her Montana state license by doing something in a different state, even though it's legal in that other state to be unlicensed? Well, if you are, what'd you say? Yeah. But no, but right. Well, Washington says you can, you don't have to be licensed to do it. Or you're just, um, our, uh, CPM is more national. So if you just need a CPM and it's legal there, then we could. Yeah. So it just, it just depends. And it's silly because it's so for, for licensed midwives different than CNMs, which is why some people decide to become nurse midwives because it's more uniform. But for, for us, CPMs, certified professional midwives, um, it's all over the place. You know, there's no standard. Uh, nationally, unfortunately. So you have to kind of go state by state. Yeah, and this is weird. I, I think might, we might've talked about another podcast, but but I'm going to be in Bozeman, Montana on September 29th, 30th. I'll be in Wyoming two weeks before that. And out of the clear blue sky, like a couple of days apart, two women from Billings, Montana reached out to me, both with twins, both wondering what to do about their twins in Montana. Neither one knew the other one. Um, so this is the third set of twins due the last week, due the end of September, that's in Montana. And I'm going to be in Montana. I think they're calling you to. But I'm not that. licensed in Montana. Mm -hmm. So that's a dilemma for me. I'm not David Hayes. Oops, shouldn't have said his name. <laughs> no. And the midwives can't do it, Because right? David, David sort of just kind of moseys around and catches a baby here and there. And the midwives can't do it there? No. Okay. Wow. Right. But there's going to be three sets of twins in Montana. I'm going to be in Montana. So that I have to figure that They're out. They're calling you. Those, twins, I have to figure those that babies out. are calling I, you. I, you know, that's the one thing I said, I have no masters. That's not true. I don't like breaking the law. No. Right. So I, we agree. Know, that's that. the same. Uh -huh. We all have that mess. Right. Okay. Um, so I think we should start to wrap it up. No, <laughs> no, I've got more stuff. I know, but they probably don't want to stay here all night. Well, are we holding, are we keeping you? You guys want to go? Sure, sure. I did buy dinner so he can buy drinks. Yeah. Okay, I got one here, another one. Um, let's see. Oh, I think this is a, a, a thing that uh, Emily sent me. Let me find it here. I have two, I have two questions here, but these are really deep. 
question. And I think that I'm going to pick one of them. I'm no, I'm going to read them out loud and I'm going to tell you whoever these are. Um, I want to talk to you privately about these. Okay. So how do you help clients whose births didn't go as planned and feel disappointed by their experience? And how do we talk about the immense power possibility of birth without making women who had standard medicalized birth feel bad? These, these are those, like, are, those are, yeah, those are, these are like their own topics and they're beautiful questions, but I, I, I let's do a podcast on, on okay. We'll do a podcast on these, on those I'll two questions, these two questions, and we will do a podcast on them. Okay. So, um, this is completely less of a deep question than, the, than that one. Well, vaginal steaming wasn't super deep. <laughs> yeah, either. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, this is a post that my, uh, my assistant put up, Emily. She said, this is why you stay away from the hospital if you can't. Uh, was orienting an OB last week at a major teaching hospital in Tennessee. A conversation that I heard was, quote, if baby won't flip, we have to do a C-section, unquote. So I asked the anesthesiologist I was working with if that's common here or the reasoning why we don't do breach births, knowing that, the, uh, knowing that I knew the truth already. And the anesthesiologist goes, quote, yeah, they, they don't train that anymore. So it's really a dying art form for obese, unquote. And she said, me, or she said, me, I said, oh, I'm pretty sure that they still educate midwives on that. <laughs> so I got a, I got a, that. yeah. So I got a response to that. And this is from Liz, who's an OB nurse. I don't know where. Um, I'm an OB nurse and was in the delivery room with twins, baby A came out vertex and baby B flipped to breach. And the doctor was like, okay, we need to do a section now. The patient declined and the doctor literally told her there was no choice because she had never done or been trained in doing a breach birth. How can you call yourself a medical professional if you are not fully trained and competent? Okay, and this is something that I talk about all the time is, you know, if you don't know how to do a breach birth, and a baby, you have a surprise breach and you want to do a crash C-section, that's wrong, but, but it's understandable. But over 50% of twins who make it to term who go into labor will have at least one of the babies breach. About 54%. 44% are about our, our vertex vertex, and there are two or 3% are transverse lie or some other weird thing. So 54% of, of twins have at least one baby that's breach. A doctor who's an OB knows that a woman's having twins usually by 10 weeks, maybe 16 weeks at the latest 20 weeks. Every doctor knows that if you're not comfortable with a breech delivery, why are you still taking care of that twin mother? You're not an expert. Why would, why would you do that? Why don't you tell that woman I'm not an expert in breech and send her to somebody or in twins, excuse me, and send her to somebody who's an expert in twins. Because you know months ahead of time that she has twins. And you know for years that you don't know how to take care of twins. And yet, is it ego? Is it money? Is it obtuseness? What is it that prevents these doctors from saying, listen, I'm not comfortable with twins. I don't know how to deal with the twins that's, that aren't head down. Sometimes they're head down, head down. And the first one comes out and the second one turns breach. And I'm gonna do a, a vaginal delivery and a section on you. And that's going to be good quality care. If I don't know how to, to pull out a breech birth, you shouldn't be doing twins, period. Mic drop. <laughs> um, so that's that. Um, 
Anything else? That's it. You want to do vaginal I mean, we, seaming again? We have so many questions from Instagram. Well, first of all, before we leave, I want to thank our two sponsors. Oh yeah. Bamboobies, which is a, a big supporter of ours and Element, Element LMNT. It's an electrolyte uh, drink um, supplement. That's also been a big sponsor of ours. So we yeah. want to thank them because they help make the show possible. So if you guys they could offset support them. some of the costs, that's, I, I don't know how exactly to say that they don't make, yeah, the we show don't possible. make money, but right. yeah, no, no. I'm, yeah. Trust me a bundle every month, but it's fun. It's this labor of love for me to do the podcast because I used to blog all the time and it was a way for me to vent and get things off my chest. And I don't know about you, but if you journal or if you write things down, um, it's, it's really cathartic to get to do, and healthy to do that. Um, and in this day and age, a lot of people don't write anymore. So I'm lucky because I have a pulpit here where I can get stuff off my chest, whether it be the injustices at Cottage Hospital or learning, <laughs> learning about vaginal steaming. It's something that, that's really helpful for me. And these two companies make it possible. So support them if you could. Thank you so much. Um, thanks, Bamboobies. Thanks, Element. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we rebranded from Dr. Seuss podcast to Birthing Instincts about a year ago, um, one of the things that, you know, we really had to kind of talk about what we really wanted and what we, how we were feeling about all of this. And Stu and I were very much on the same page that if we can really cause a ripple effect in the birth community by just being honest and open and talking about these things, um, that would validate what we're doing here. You know, that that's really where all of this comes from is that we really have a commitment to, you know, before we're gone, that we make the biggest impact that we can. And, um, here in Santa Barbara, for me, um, we've been talking about having community-based birth being at 10%, which would be the highest in the country that we know of. If you guys know of a higher percentage, let us know, and then we'll up it. But we would like for Santa Barbara to be known as uh, the golden standard of what maternal health care could look like. And um, that's what I'm standing for. And uh, I know you've had a statistic for yourself that you were saying, I hope that home birth is. Oh, I'd like, to see, be, I'd like to see birth. community based birth would be 5% by 2030. Yeah. Would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Augustine Colbrook says that if you get over 3.1%, 3.2%, you're no longer an outlier. You become, you have to be part of the stakeholders in the conversation. Yeah. So if we can get up to 3, 4% uh, nationwide, then, then the dominoes will begin to fall and we, we might be able to see some change. And I just want to thank everyone in this room for coming, whether you're a client, a birth worker, chiropractor, or anybody else, you are all changing lives. Everyone in this room, all right, has, has done good for this community and changed the lives of people. And those people are telling other people and they're telling other people. And this is how things go. I met Nicole. How old is your? It's only six years ago. Wow, it seems like it was longer, doesn't it? To me, it does. But it's a, a vaginal birth after cesarean. And, you know, it was, she had no options up here. And it was, it was great for me. And then she is a kind of, she sees a lot of pregnant women. And she, everybody knows her story. I'm, I'm assuming that people do. And, and that, that builds confidence. And so 
all the midwives here, everybody that you've taken care of over the years and, and, the, and the sacrifices that you made, we are so grateful because um, it, it, there is no greater work than what we're doing. I mean, everybody thinks their job is really meaningful. Not everybody, I guess. There are certain people that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the, guy, the guy that works at Subway, I mean, probably doesn't think his job is really meaningful. Although I've always, often said that what I'd like to do in the end was just, just work from, from 11 to two making sandwiches. That would be a great job. Can you imagine him going to make sandwiches? Yeah. And, and, and not owning the place just because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to go in and make sandwiches because making a good sandwich makes people happy. Right. If you like sandwiches. If yes. you like sandwiches. Well, nobody goes to a sandwich shop who's not wanting to eat a sandwich. Right. <laughs> so, but, but this is how, this is how it works. And this is how we touch people. And we really are grateful for, for you guys listening. And uh, we'll just see you next week, I guess. See you next week. Bye-bye. Nice being back with you, Bliss. Love you, too. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.